All right. Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening. Uh, the title of tonight's webinar was New Year, Same Old uh, Difficulties uh, Between the Opposition and Coalition. Actually, uh, what we saw today is uh, that they've actually got even worse. Today, we saw really extraordinary scenes in a in a sort of Knesset, which is now seven months, I believe, something like that. We've seen some unprecedented scenes. Today, we saw something relatively unprecedented. I'm not sure we've ever seen it before. Uh, we've seen some you know, unruly behavior, a lot of shouting, even a little bit of shoving in the Knesset between the opposition and the coalition. Uh, and, but usually, the higher level people stay out of it. It's usually the backbenchers, uh, or in the case of the opposition, former ministers um, who are basically, you know, trying to rattle uh, the coalition as much as possible. Uh, the big uh, event of today surrounded a law which has been on and off the books for quite a while, which would legalize um, uh, the supply of electricity and water to unauthorized homes, which means uh, buildings or houses which were built illegally or without uh, proper authorization. Uh, this happens mostly in, in Arab areas, but not only. Uh, and up until now, legally, they weren't uh, allowed or they didn't necessarily uh, need to be supplied with amenities that uh, registered and authorized houses would. Uh, this is something very much on the Ram agenda. Uh, we've seen uh, over the last couple of months, a lot of threats from Ram to vote against the government, to leave the government over this law, not from Mansour Abbas, who, as I've uh, said repeatedly over the last few months, has been very responsible and not made idle threats and really tried to act responsibly uh, as a full member of this uh, coalition, but some of the other uh, members of Ram. Uh, and eventually, after some compromise with Minister, uh, Interior Minister Ayala Chaked, uh, the law was brought uh, before the Knesset. There were some debates even before this, exactly how much debate uh, should be allowed, because it was clear this was going to be extremely contentious. So the opposition, which is largely, largely right-wing parties, obviously we know there's the, the Arab joint list involved, but largely right-wing religious parties were going to try and make a lot of noise out of it. They were going to have filibusters, knowing that they simply don't have the numbers uh, to stop it, especially, as I said, with the Arab joint list, who would obviously support this. Um, so they wanted to make a lot of noise and, you know, uh, uh, as I said, I think they were talking about something like an 80-hour filibuster or something ridiculous like that. The coalition found a law which apparently hasn't been used much, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but to speed up the proceedings. So they managed to vote uh, early this morning. Uh, and basically the opposition, knowing that it didn't have the numbers, uh, boycotted the, the Knesset, so it passed by 61 to 0. What was interesting and what caused the ruckus was the right-wing uh, opposition tried to embarrass the government by at the last minute throwing in an amendment that says uh, that uh, also the um, uh, illegal uh, 
outpost, the sort of um, uh, what, what's been called hilltops, the, the, the smaller communities uh, or Israeli communities in Judea and Samaria uh, should also be uh, hooked up to electricity and water, obviously uh, trying to embarrass the more right-wing members of the government who then uh, voted against it. And when the vote uh, passed, or the vote, uh, that particular part of it uh, was voted down, the right-wing members of the opposition started shouting at some of the Yamina, as we know, Yamina are a party which essentially is a party of the right-wing, right-wing religious, even of the, uh, the settler community. And they started shouting at them, Busha, which is like shame. And they were shouting, shame, shame, and they were shouting at some of the uh, uh, members of Knesset of Yamina, especially those who are more identified with the settler movement. And what basically occurred is Prime Minister Bennett, which is usually the Prime Minister, uh, sits uh, sort of quiet, doesn't really get involved in this, but he jumped out of his seat and started uh, attacking members of the opposition verbally, not, not physically. Um, he was trying to get to clearly uh, Prime Minister Netan uh, former Prime Minister, I should say, Netanyahu, and basically saying, you know, you're an embarrassment, you voted for the disengagement, and pointed me Regev, you were the spokesperson of disengagement, how dare you lecture us, et cetera, et cetera. The scenes, as I said, were quite extraordinary because to have a prime minister who had to be held back um, from, you know, really verbally, uh, uh, you know, shouting at the opposition was, was extremely, extremely rare. And the debate is exactly why this happened. So there are some, especially some even in the government who were quite embarrassed by this outburst. As I said, usually prime ministers hold their tongue. They may make faces, they may have a comment or two, but certainly not you know, get in the faces of the opposition. Uh, and they felt that uh, Bennett was pushed and he reacted. He gave the opposition exactly the scenes that they wanted. Bennett came out with, uh, or Bennett's office, I should say, Prime Minister Bennett's office came out with an interesting uh, reaction to it, claiming that uh, he was reacting uh, specifically to take the flat from the Yamina MKs. Um, those of you who have been following Israeli news ever since the beginning of the coalition will remember that Yamina MKs, members of Knesset, uh, including Naftali Bennett, including Ayat uh, uh, Shaked, including uh, Matan Kahana, Yom Tov Khalfon and, and many others have been specifically uh, and brutally targeted again, not, 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 not physically, although there were some claims that some of them have been physically attacked, uh, but really called all sorts of things traitor and, and all these sort of things. And there is a feeling that uh, Bennett wasn't involved enough in protecting his MKs. So uh, the claim was made that today he decided to try and deflect the blame from his MKs and take it on himself. Uh, so that's why he got up and made a, a lot of attention. He also tried to show that Netanyahu, who ran away, according to Bennett's uh, description, uh, he certainly turned his back and left the auditorium when Bennett started moving towards him. He claims that a leader leads, and even if it looks ugly, he has to uh, still defend his troops, whereas Netanyahu ran away. Um, my view is uh, it probably could be that he did lose his temper in a moment uh, where he just had enough. I'm not sure it was as calculated as the office tried to make out it was. Uh, either way, it's clear that the Bennett, the, 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 the sort of demeanor that's been sculpted over the last six or seven uh, uh, months, prime ministerial, even you know, in American terminology, presidential, you know, always wearing a suit, always trying to speak calmly and slowly and clearly, trying to take a leaf out of 
uh, Netanyahu's book. He's been holding relatively regular press conferences on the, the, the COVID issue, uh, trying to sort of take control and look uh, leadership and look like, you know, he, he's gone from that scrappy uh, small party leader to the prime minister's office. Well, certainly today we'll take a dent out of this. Perhaps some will like it. Some will, will you know, will remember the old Bennett and will want to see that uh, and won't be as comfortable with this, uh, as they call it, mamlachti, um, sort of uh, very conformative uh, presidential appearance. So it remains to be seen exactly what lasting effect this will have. What is clear is the opposition took great glee from goading him and from seeing that reaction. So I'm sure that the temperature will just be raised. The volume will be raised in the future because they'll think, uh, and again, the jury's out whether that was calculated or not, um, but they'll think that uh, he is someone who can be goaded and not to look prime ministerial, not to look like Netanyahu, who did not allow himself to be goaded in pretty much uh, any situation, will certainly lose him uh, some support. Uh, the other major political, domestic political uh, event, which came out today as well, which actually uh, is very interesting and could have a major effect on the longevity of this government, is the uh, decision, or let's just say at this point, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but it seems to be that um, uh, they're, they're talking about trying to pass a two-year budget. We know that uh, they passed a two-year budget to ensure uh, that this government would stay. Uh, and now they're trying to pass the next two years after that, 23-24, uh, by May they're talking about, which would be really unprecedented to have a budget for the next three years uh, ahead of time. Now, why are they doing this? Uh, I talked, I think it was last week, or at least recently, about this concept of the two-year itch in governments, where usually after two years, knowing the government's forward, uh, between two and three years around, around that mark, there's this point where you know, the parties, party leaders, members of Knesset start thinking, okay, the government's gonna fall at some point relatively soon. Do we want to be the first to leave? Do we want to leave on a point of principle? What is our point of principle? What works for us? What's good uh, a narrative to go into the elections with? Um, but the problem with, uh, with that concept in this particular government is, within, is in two years, there's a change, there's a rotation, and there's a change of prime minister. So certainly, uh, Lapid, uh, Foreign Minister Lapid and alternate Prime Minister Lapid will certainly want to ensure that he gets uh, that position, Prime Minister, in, in two years, less than two years now. And again, uh, as I've explained regularly, the major obstacle is always the budget because without passing the budget in a certain amount of time, we automatically go to elections regardless of anything else. So the fact that it's been tabled with the support of Lapid, with the support of Bennett, Interestingly enough, it was tabled by Zevelkin of the New Hope Party, Gidon Saar's party. Now, that could be just to, uh, uh, you know, sort of deflect attention. You know, if it was Lapid or someone in Lapid's party, it would seem a bit self-serving to basically try and pass a budget just to ensure that he was uh, in, in, in uh, uh, he gets the prime ministership uh, when, when he's allotted. So perhaps that's why uh, Zevelkin uh, was, was chosen to sort of launch this initiative. Another reason could be because Gidon Saar's part of New Hope is polling the lowest out of any of the government parties. Uh, many of the recent polls have it uh, below the electoral threshold, meaning if elections were held according to those polls, uh, none of the MKs would appear and the, the party would not uh, exist within the Knesset. Um, so New Hope clearly need 
uh, a large amount of time or a larger amount of time, they can't, they, they certainly won't be seeking elections anytime soon. They're going to need quite a number of successes, uh, a strong narrative uh, to go into the next elections. So that could be part of it. And as I said, it could be just part of it. They needed someone who wasn't from Naftali Bennett's party, wasn't from Yair Lapid's party. Uh, so maybe Zevel can make the most sense as probably the, uh, you know, a, a right-wing member with a lot of experience. So he was the one to launch this particular initiative. What this means is also is that there, were, there are some nerves about uh, uh, within certain quarters of the coalition, whether they'll be able to survive. At the moment, the feeling is good in the government. There are differences, certainly on ideology, but so far, the government is able, is stable, is able to pass certain amounts of its agenda, obviously not all. Uh, so there's a feeling that now is the best time um, to really try and put forward uh, the budget, which is usually the most complicated, the most controversial, and the most divisive of, of laws. So to try and get it now, as opposed to when everyone's starting to think, okay, is this going to work? Is this not? Where's my place in it? Am I gonna have to start thinking of future? Maybe the right-wing parties are gonna start thinking, okay, we may have to go back to the other block at one point. Uh, you know, what's, how are we going to do it? And, and all that sort of thing. All of this is playing uh, very much out in sort of uh, uh, the diplomatic agenda. It has uh, an influence on what's going on with America. Uh, Defense Minister Benny Gantz was asked about um, uh, legalizing some of the outposts. And he said, you know, I don't want to annoy the Americans at this point. And if it's a choice between annoying them over uh, the, the younger settlements, the uh, illegal uh, settlements, or, uh, you know, trying to, try to at least uh, get our point across on Iran, unfortunately, at this point, I'm going to have to go uh, with Iran. So obviously, uh, that's playing into it. Benny Gantz also made a, an interesting trip, a very highly publicized trip uh, uh, to King Abdullah in Jordan. This, this comes on the heels of his meeting with Mahmoud Abbas, as we know. So it's clear that they're trying to show the international community, the Americans uh, foremost, that Israel is doing all it can to try and uh, see peace and stability in the region. Uh, it's clear that there's going to be no diplomatic track. The Americans know that. Uh, so the Israeli government is trying to at least project that it's not trying to make the situation worse. And it has an open uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, track to the Palestinian leadership and the Jordanian leadership and other leaders around the world. We've had publicized, very highly publicized meeting with uh, with um, with uh, uh, President uh, Sisi in, uh, in, uh, in 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 Egypt. So uh, I think that that's part of the wider narrative that it's trying to tell uh, the West, America uh, chiefly, that this government is will not be able to move forward on the diplomatic track with the Palestinians, the peace process, but it certainly won't uh, make problems in the region. Uh, and it's trying to play nice as possible uh, with all of its neighbors. Um, so I'm happy to answer questions about anything I've mentioned or anything else that's on your mind that's happened in Israel this week. All right, thank you so much. So the first question we have is generally, are the people of Israel happy with the coalition government? Um, well, whenever they do polls uh, recently, and they asked about the government, it pretty much is relatively even, and it's usually split between those who are supporters of the opposition. It, we're in such divisive times that it's so evenly split between those who 
who feel they're represented by this uh, government and those who are not. Uh, different issues hold different uh, parameters. Uh, on the economic front, uh, people are not happy, but then they're not necessarily happy with many governments, and that's true in Israel and around the world, especially in a time, you know, a time of uncertainty that we have uh, globally at this point. Uh, but again, I, th I think uh, according to all the polls you've uh, that we've seen, um, most of the blocks would remain pretty much intact. Uh, they could probably have gone up a little bit, but still unable to uh, reach that, you know, hallowed 61 that they would need. Uh, so probably the opposition, as does, uh, at, at, again, points of uncertainty, uh, are probably made some dents into the coalition's uh, uh, side, but um, it all depends, uh, you know, on, on, on on elections, elections aren't happening, and if we're if we're in a more stable, more certain times, perhaps who knows? Even when COVID has calmed down, when the economy is starting to get back on its feet, it, it is getting back on its feet, and we've seen growth, and there's uh, expected growth uh, in the years to come. But uh, people are not necessarily feeling it at the moment, and, and there's a lot of reforms being talked about, and whether they hit people in their pocket will also have a major factor. At the moment, they're not. Prices are going up and that's what uh, is also a major part of the conversation and the moment's taking a, a big part of the news uh, the price uh, of food the price of living in Israel is going up um, so on that note so far the government uh, is suffering a little bit because of that but if some of the reforms and ex expected policies come through then we could see a, a change again because I don't see uh, an election in the offing in the months ahead Thank you. Uh, Mirad Konsari asks, how effective or helpful was Boris Johnson's conversation with Prime Minister Bennett and the pressures recently exerted by the UK concerning the lack of progress in the JCPOA talks in Vienna that has also been accompanied by uh, the UK's vocal objections to Iran's recent testing of ballistic missiles? I think the message that the Israelis are trying to get across to the, let's just say, you know, you break up the, the P5 plus one, and you have on the one side, you have the Americans, the, uh, the British, the French, and the Germans, the sort of so-called West, and you have the Chinese and the Russians, which are more uh, on the Iranian side, let's just say. Um, um, so, you know, the British probably have led on the language uh, uh, recently. And by the way, in, uh, in the lead up, uh, to the JCPOA, the, the British were certainly the strongest, even more than uh, the, the Americans, on Iran, on, on their nuclear weapons program. So it's, it's not like a great surprise to see Britain again leading on this. Uh, we saw the foreign minister uh, say that this is the last chance uh, for Iran. What Israel is trying to push for is some action behind the words, uh, because it's very nice that we hear uh, this is the last chance, uh, Iran, you know, really, really, you know, in, in diplomatic language, showing the frustration uh, with Iran because it is playing games, clearly, while it's uh, rushing ahead with its, uh, with its enrichment program, legal uh, enrichment uh, program. Uh, so what the Israelis would like to see is a point, a line in the sand where the Western powers at least come and say, you know, enough is enough. You know, you're not serious. Let's up the ante, whether it's through sanctions, pressure, diplomatic pressure, there's a lot of pressure points, obviously, with Iran's economy, uh, the way it is at the moment, uh, the Israelis 
are certainly giving the message there's a lot more that can be done to force the Iranians to the table. Because at the moment, it's clear the Iranians are not fully at the table, even if they are physically, they're not being serious. You know, there's, there was talk this morning, I think, or yesterday, the Americans said there's some modest uh, progress being made, but it's clear the Iranians are playing for time. So what the Israelis would like to see really, and this is what uh, is happening behind closed doors, is, is some practical uh, measures being taken to back up the words, because it's very nice to hear the words, this is the last chance, but unless it's backed up with practical action, um, the Iranians won't feel threatened, won't feel the pressure. And as long as they have the backing of Russia and China, which they do to a large extent, uh, they'll feel that they have no sufficient reason to, to take the process as seriously as they should at this point. Thank you so much. And in regards to the meetings Bennett's been having with world leaders, uh, Andy Palak asks, is there any evident quid, quid pro quo for the effect to satisfy the Biden administration, such as releasing early delivery of the Boeing KC-46 refueling aircraft? What's the question? What, what is Israel getting instead of that? Is there any sort of quid pro quo? Uh, his original question was, was it, is Bennett trying to satisfy uh, the Biden administration with the meetings? So is there any evident quid pro quo uh, now? Such um, as I, I, I mean, the, the, the refueling plane uh, or the delay, let's say, of the delivery of the refueling plane is, is, is a blow for Israel's uh, planning, uh, potential planning, if necessary, and obviously, you know, this is a big if uh, it ever needs to strike Iran because it is uh, relatively far away. Um, they would need some sort of refueling. And this is one of the reasons why they bought uh, these and they paid for these. And now they're being delayed for a couple of years. Perhaps that was America's way of calming uh, things with Israel. Maybe that sent the wrong message to Iran. Maybe it needed to be the opposite. Maybe they needed to ranch it up the pressure on Iran and show we're not going to stop Israel. Maybe that would have been a, a good way of saying that. Uh, did Israel get something in exchange? Not to the best of my knowledge. Uh, as, as, as I think we, we spoke about previously, you know, uh, when, when Defense Minister Benny Gantz was in America, he said openly and clearly to the Americans and even publicly that Israel is planning, uh, again, not to say that, that we use it, but creating plans to strike uh, at Iran's uh, nuclear weapons program. Uh, and we didn't see too much pushback. So maybe that was part of the sort of strategy, um, but it's not clear exactly what Israel has gained from this delay. And it's not necessarily that there is anything to be gained. Uh, as I said, as far as the Americans are concerned for Israel, Israel's tried to do as much as possible uh, to keep in the Americans good books because this for them is for pretty much everyone across uh, across the political spectrum in Israel is the most important issue. So uh, other issues, as Benny Gantz, as I said before, as Benny Gantz doesn't want to necessarily legalize uh, some of these illegal, when I say illegal, I'm talking about illegal under Israeli law, uh, some of these small illegal um, outposts that are being created. And uh, Benny Gantz made it clear that for him, uh, not ruffling the feathers of the Americans is the most important thing at the moment because Iran is the most important issue for the defense establishment and the Israeli political establishment. Thank you. And going back to your first point, uh, Norman Lewis asks, the behavior in the Knesset is appalling and is 
been continually deteriorating. Do you see any prospect of better, more adult behavior in the future? I mean, we're talking about a bit of a zen today, so I'm, I, I'm not, you know, you can argue, could it get lower? <laughs> you know, every time we say, could it? Uh, it, it may well do. So I'm not going to make any prediction on that. Um, you know, the interesting thing about the Knesset is, and, you know, as someone who spends quite a lot of time there is, that the same people who are shouting each other, calling each other all, all manner of names, traitor, you're this, you're that. You can go to the, 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 the Knesset cafeteria, the members of Knesset cafeteria, and you'll see these guys sitting together, chatting, slapping each other's back, having a joke. You know, it's, 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 it was always fascinating to me because, you know, before I'd go, I would see all these scenes and think, wow, these guys really must hate each other. And, uh, and then you see these people who look like they should really have nothing to do with each other. They're sitting, you know, at the end of the day, you have to work with people. And, you know, you see, uh, you know, you, sort of, you see strange bedfellows in all sorts of laws. There, there are laws which can unite the far right, the far left, the Islamist parties, the religious, the ultra-Orthodox. On certain issues, they can always, you can always find some uh, sort of uh, areas of, of, of agreement. So you have to be able to work this. There are some people who won't work with some other people, not to say that everyone gets on you know, with everybody, but behind the scenes, it's a very different atmosphere. And a lot of the shouting and reacting is mainly for public consumption. They know that this is being filmed, it will leave the news. They know, you know that the Knesset channel runs uh, the discussions in the plenum live. So they know people are watching, they know the main news will lead with this. So everyone wants to try and have their, you know, uh, their, their sort of agenda, lead the news. Uh, as I said, probably tonight, it was, uh, it was uh, a point to the opposition for managing to have the prime minister rattled. Again, there is a different narrative of why he was rattled, but uh, certainly the opposition will be happy with their work tonight. So will they, will that, will that behavior change? I don't think so, because I think they'll probably look at this as a win for them and they'll probably think, uh, OK, he, he's he's rattled. So let's try and keep up the pressure. So I think at this point in time, it will probably only get worse uh, for now, at least uh, until they, they see maybe that they're not rattling uh, those that they are basically hurling abuse at. How exactly would that affect uh, passing this next two year budget? Sorry. How exactly would that affect the passing the next two-year budget? Will there be any ramifications of the, of the fighting between the opposition and the coalition? Oh, oh, absolutely. The budget will be, again, as the last budget was seen as a major battle, this budget will be seen as well, because, again, there isn't the time element. The last one had to be passed by a certain date, and in the end it was actually passed. They thought it would get down to the last hours or even minutes that budgets have in the past. But this actually was passed a few days in advance. This is going to be passed, uh, I believe, a year in advance. So there's not going. There's, there's no way the opposition can filibuster for a year, even though they may try. But uh, so so I don't see uh, uh, that there'll be that. But there'll be all sorts of it'll, it'll, uh, the, the disagreements will be played out in the media. They'll try and jump on any element of the budget which they see as unfair or as hypocritical. Because again, today. You know, a, a lot of what today is, is thinking about the next elections. Uh, I'm sure both sides who, are, who have put up laws to try and embarrass the other side 
are taking notes, are taking videos of all these votes to have a right-wing person vote against a right-wing law, to have an Arab per, uh, member of Knesset vote against an Arab law. You know, there's on, on, on each, uh, in each community, there are two sides to it. Some are in the coalition, some are in the opposition. So each side are constantly trying to embarrass the others by putting up laws that they know they can't support because they're in the coalition or the opposition. Um, but they'll vote against it or for it anyway because that's what they have to do. So, you know, that's really that's really what what everyone is is now thinking how they can embarrass because the, the process is very difficult uh, to topple a government, especially if the budget will pass. So there'll be a lot of attention. There'll be a lot of threats, a lot of media, uh, sort of uh, uh, even social media attacking uh, one and the other. Um, but there just isn't the time um, uh, constraints that usually a budget has. And that's pretty much the reason why they're doing it a year in advance. Okay. Uh, and Michael Bering asks, is there mounting opposition against Senate regarding the second booster shot? I think we might've lost you though. So I think uh, I'm not yeah, I think we're starting to lose each other. Question. Okay, so Michael Baring asks: Is there mounting opposition against Bennett regarding the second booster shot? No, I think we might just have to call it. Sorry about that. I think I'm back in. Oh, no problem. We're at the end, but real quick, uh, just COVID-related. Is there any opposition to the the second booster shot? Um, there's been opposition, relatively minor, all the way through for every single shot. Um, there were questions asked, certainly when it first came out, uh, whether it was a little bit too early. But they asked the same question of the third booster shot. Um, but uh, very minimal opposition. It wasn't really opposition, it was more sort of queries, whether it's necessary, not whether it's necessary, but whether, whether you know, they'd, they'd waited till it had been fully investigated, uh, but there was a massive panel of experts, I believe 100 plus uh, medical experts who signed off, I think uh, 85 out of it supported. So overwhelming support from the medical community. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I. I minimal opposition, certainly questions, uh, you know, because like everybody else, when you had the booster, people thought, well, maybe that's it for a while. Uh, but it's clear that uh, even though the vaccines are effective, they don't last as long as we would like. And as Israel uh, sort of is leading the way, at least in, in time-wise, um, uh, giving it shots, you know, we don't really have too many other countries to look at and say, okay, things are going well there. You have to go with the, the data and the science that you relied on for the first booster, uh, but it's clear so far that there are no uh, effects of the of the second booster, and in fact, it, it is boosting people's uh, immune system significantly. So, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is certainly touting his success, um, as Israel really is on the way up of this wave of Omicron. Okay. Uh, 
Wonderful. Thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you for taking time to update us this week. Thank you. And for our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Wafa Sultan discussing ex-Muslims. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a great day.